Hello, I'm Nick Baker, and this is the UK Wildlife Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a rather different episode with just me, Neil Phillips. Vic can't join us today, so I thought I'd try something a bit different where I'm just going to talk about one subject and my relationship with it, and that is the leeches. So I'm just going to go straight into it. With their habit of stretching out and shrinking down to a slimy blob, and of course their reputation as bloodsuckers, they don't have many fans. They are up there, or should I say down there, in the popularity stakes with maggots and mosquitoes and spiders. Now, I have a confession to make, and it's a bit embarrassing for someone like me that loves and tries to champion inverts and is known as Pond Man. I actually have a fear of leeches. In fact, as a child, I was so terrified, or perhaps I should describe it as disgusted by them, that if I found one while I was pond dipping, I would just stop, pretty much. I remember emptying out my garden pond when I was about 10 years old. With the family, the liner had sprung a leak, so we were replacing it. Now, we'd got all the water out, and we're taking out all the plants and animals and that kind of stuff, and we're digging through all this mud, and right towards the end of it, my dad took great pleasure in pointing out that this was decades of rotting leaves and fish poo. So my sisters, horrified, just jumped out, but I didn't care, and I carried on. And then I found a leech, and then my dad had to finish it off. (laughs) I think the main source of my disgust was probably my fear of having my blood sucked. I'd remember watching The Really Wild Show, which was a favourite of mine growing up, and there was a segment on it called Nick's Basement, where the presenter Nick Baker showed us some sort of creepy or less loved creature. But one episode in particular has stuck in my mind, and that's one where he let a leech feed on blood in his arm. And he sort of explained how they numb the area so you can't feel it. But as he was talking, he admitted that actually not only could he feel it, but it was starting to hurt a bit, which didn't help at all with my phobia. But as I now know, only one species in the UK has ever been recorded biting humans, the medicinal leech. This is the species that's famously used in historic medicine, bloodletting and such, but it is now very rare and localised. There is a second species in the UK called Placadella costa, and that has been recorded in Europe feeding on humans, but not in the UK. Knowing this has helped with my fear or disgust of them. The year after I finished university, I started to help run pond dipping sessions for a local wildlife trust, and would of course encounter leeches, with children present on school trips and stuff like that. So I had to do a pretty good job of covering up my fear of them, which thankfully was much less than it was when I was a child. I did occasionally get grossed out a bit, but I found it was important not to teach them to fear these creatures I was trying to get them to like, so I did quite a good job of covering them up, I think. One thing I'd found that helped was reading up on them and finding out more about them. This is known to work for people with arachnophobia, who have started to research and find out a bit more about spiders and learn to love them in fact some of them are now experts on spiders so i thought right let's try that with leeches which like i say really did help although it wasn't all plain sailing i distinctly remember reading up on the behavior of leeches and those that don't feed on large animals will swim away from shadows and disturbance in the water just like a fish would but those that do feed on mammalian blood actually swim toward splashing and shadows in the water and i'm somewhat ashamed to say that the image of leeches swimming towards me while i stood in the water made me fling the book across the room but i'm pleased to say now i've reached the point where a few years ago I actually reached into a tray and picked up a six centimetre long leech on my hand. I'm sometimes a bit creeped out by them moving around, but that part of the brain that sort of triggers a fear response is just totally overridden by my fascination for these brilliant creatures, and hopefully this episode will help you, if you're a bit scared of them, to appreciate them too. As I've already mentioned, most species don't feed on blood, but all of them are parasitic or predatory carnivores, and some species will feed on carrion too. 
Now, they belong to the group called the annelids, which are known as the true worms, with their closest relatives being the oligocheetah, which is a group that contains earthworms and creatures that look very much like them. The Hirundera, the scientific name for leeches, like their relatives the earthworm, have a body divided into segments, and they are also hermaphrodites, having both male and female reproductive organs. While earthworms and the other oligocheetah have a quite variable number of body segments, the leeches only ever have 34. Although because each segment is subdivided, it makes different species that like have different numbers of segments, as it's hard to see where each segment starts and ends. Leeches also lack the keta, the small hairs earthworms use to pull themselves through the soil with. And of course the most recognisable difference are the suckers present in leeches. They usually have one at the head end, known as the anterior sucker, and a typically larger one at the rear end, known as the posterior sucker. The first five segments are formed together to form a head with a brain of sorts and a set of eye spots, the number of which varies between species. Leeches breathe through their skin with oxygen passing in and carbon dioxide passing out. And some species, like the common fish leech, have little tubercles on the skin, which increase the surface area and help with extra oxygen intake. Leeches are divided broadly into two groups. There are jawed leeches, which have three rows of teeth at their mouth to cut into prey, and the jawless leeches, which have no teeth, but they have an extendable proboscis, which is rather like a straw, and this is inserted into prey to feed on them. One of the most frequently found leeches in ponds are the brown leeches, which are actually three different species in the genus Erpobidella, which are hard to distinguish from each other. It was probably the species I saw the most in my childhood. My nan had a decent-sized pond in her garden, which was absolutely full of huge water lily plants. One look under a lily pad could pretty much guarantee finding a brown leech and a few of their egg cocoons. I have vivid memories of the 5mm blobs stretching out to 30mm long and back again as they moved around trying to get back into the water. This didn't stop me catching the frogs and toads in the pond, but it did make me a bit wary putting my hands in there. Every year this pond would have a mass emergence of froglets hopping all over the lawn and around the lily pads. But of course, the pond was full of leeches, and I distinctly remember watching a froglet sat in a little pool of water on a lily pad, only for a leech to reach out from a nearby leaf, grab the froglet and drag it underneath. <laughs> much to mine and my sister's horror. <laughs> As you can imagine, this did not do much to endear me to my least favourite creature. One species I seem to find a lot during pond dips, ditch surveys and the like in Essex is Helobidella stagnalis, which I've nicknamed the scowl leech to help me remember the distinguishing feature of a single scowl on its back. This leech is kind of see-through in colour, can be sort of creamy brown. It's one of the more common species in the UK and can be found in all sorts of freshwater bodies, including rivers, streams, lakes, ponds. It has a fairly typical hunting pattern for a leech, coming out at night and grabbing its prey with that anterior sucker, which of course has a mouth in the middle. As one of the unjawed leeches, after grabbing its prey, it stabs it with its proboscis and sucks the body fluids out. This can include water lice, midge larvae, mayfly nymphs and aquatic worms. I once caught and took one of this species back to photograph in one of my photographic aquariums. And just as most leeches do, it promptly stuck on the front glass and made it hard to photograph in a natural position. But when I looked closely, I could see something attached to the underside. It was a mass of tiny leeches. Along with other species in this family of leeches, they brood or guard their young. Some lay their ecocoon on a stone or a leaf and watch over it, but others like the scow leech go one step further. It lays its eggs on a stone, but then the eggs attach to its underside. When they hatch, the 30 or so young stay attached to the underside of their parent using their rear sucker. From the underside of their parent, they will join in on feeding on large prey that the parent has caught. And the parents have even been observed feeding smaller prey like small midge larvae and worms to their young. Bizarrely, if one of the young becomes dislodged, it may end up attaching to another parent. While this foster parent is usually the same species, the young scow leeches have been observed being brooded by other species in the same family, 
and young of these other species have been observed on the scale leech as well. Glossophonia complanta is another species in this group, and it takes parental care a step further. While brooding young, the underside where the young are attached becomes modified, and it allows nutrients through it, providing nourishment for the young. Such attentive parental care is perhaps not something you associate with leeches. When the juvenile scale leeches actually leave the adult, they have been recorded feeding on the much larger medicinal leech, which makes them a hyperparasitoid, as they're a parasite on a parasite. But it doesn't seem to have much effect on the medicinal leeches. This is in contrast to the young of Glossophonia complanta. This attaches and feeds on medicinal leeches and other large species, but provokes a violent reaction from them where they try, usually in vain, to dislodge these little leeches, desperately burrowing into sediment, rubbing against stones, and even attempting to dislodge them using their suckers. This may be due to the fact that they are often killed by the young leeches feeding on them. One of these larger species of leech is the horse leech. It's probably the most common of our large leeches. It has a dark brown to black colour and can reach up to 15 centimetres long. This is the species that probably gave me my most memorable childhood leech encounter. Back in the 1990s, the New Zealand flatworm was all over the news. It started to spread more widely in the UK, and as this large invasive black invertebrate was spreading, it was having a severe negative effect on the native earthworm population. After seeing a request for sightings, an episode of BBC's Gardener's World, I searched my whole garden looking for one. I turned over every pot and stone and bit of wood in the garden, finding wood lice, centipedes, black ants, and then finally, I found one. Except I hadn't. Under a stone marking the boundary between the garden pond and the little bog garden we had, I found a large black worm-like thing. I put it in a margarine tub, but my hopes it was one of these cool black flatworms were crushed when it stretched out. It was a massive leech. I quickly added some water and threw the lid back on, which thankfully was a transparent one. Of course, at that time, I didn't know it was harmless. But with the lid securely on, I was brave enough to look in, as this leech stretched out to longer than the margarine tub it was in. I let it go the next day, as I figured I didn't have blood to feed it. Of course, it wouldn't have been interested in the blood. Although it's one of the jawed leeches, its teeth are far too blunt to bite through skin. It is in fact a carnivore feeding on small invertebrates and fish, and of course, amphibians. It's also known to feed on the dead bodies of much larger animals, including in some cases human corpses. They are partly amphibious and will come on land to feed on earthworms in the soil. And as illustrated in a rather horrifying but brilliant bit of film on BBC's Autumn Watch, they'll feed on emerging toadlets. The bit of footage I speak of shows toadlets hopping around with a horse leech then approaching them, <laughs> the front sucker grabbing onto one of these poor toadlets and engulfing it alive, which, while somewhat traumatising, was a fascinating insight into these awesome creatures. The name horse leech is often quoted as being the result of its association with horses, with the leech found in its watering holes, and perhaps in some cases confused with the medicinal leeches, which would have fed on the horses. But another possibility is the horse is a derivative or corruption of the old Anglo-Saxon word for false, just like the horse in horse chestnut, and these were not the real leeches people wanted to collect or perhaps avoid, the real leeches of course being medicinal leeches. Observations in the lake districts of this species have shown them often spending the day sitting under a lakeside stone, and then at night they come out and hunt along the shore. They also lay their eggs on the shore, which keeps them safe from aquatic predators, but leaves them open to terrestrial ones. The adults themselves are sometimes eaten by predators other than the typical fish, falling prey to moles and snakes. But they are not the only leech that spends a lot of time on land. The well-named amphibious leech is the most terrestrial of our UK leech species, and a large amount of the sightings are found in gardens with damp clay soil. They feed on terrestrial worms and invertebrates, and they only need to return to the water to breed. The young typically spend a year underwater, feeding and living like their relatives the brown leeches. 
before spending more more time on land and in the soil. They are quite tolerant of high pollution and can even occur in sewers, sometimes even turning up in toilets and sinks. A few years ago I attended a pond dipping event at the excellent RSVB Rain and Marshes in Essex and I caught quite a few of these bluey grey leeches that had two rows of spots down their back which is quite distinctive and turned out to be duck leeches. This species lives a fascinating if slightly gross to us life cycle which would explain their abundance in this bird rich wetland reserve. They are sangivorous which is an animal that feeds on blood, in this case from birds. But they don't do this how you might think. The leeches brood their eggs and young for three to four months and if the young haven't left already, they leave as the parent dies in early autumn. The young leeches will then attach themselves at the top of a stone or plant and wait for a bird to come along. When this duck, goose, swan or gull gets close enough, they quickly attach to its beak and crawl up its nose and latch onto the wall of the nasal cavity to feed on its blood. Here they will stay for a few days, or in the case of some of the young, up to nine months before dropping back out the nostril where they quickly grow gorging on blood. Of course, while they are feeding the bird host, it continues to fly around and may even migrate, which means they can end up a long way from where they originally got inside the host. This probably explains their very wide distribution across the northern hemisphere, including the polar regions, which have very few leech species. The effect on the host is usually minimal, although it can be harmful if large numbers attack one host, and there are records of young ducks dying. It takes three or more of these feeds for them to reach maturity, and mating often occurs under stones, sometimes in a ball of ten or more leeches. The eggs are laid in up to five cocoons and hatch after be brooded by the adult, and then up to 400 of the young will attach to the adult. The fish leeches are something avid fish keepers will be very aware of, as they are both ectoparasites, that's parasites that feed on the outside of the host, of fish. There are two very different fish leeches in the UK. The first is Hemicelepsis marginata, known simply as the fish leech which belongs to the same family as the duck leech and scow leech, and like them broods its young. This species lives in all kinds of fresh water, doing particularly well in slow-flowing weedy rivers and in ponds. Here it spends much of its time on the bottom, hiding under stones or in plants. When hungry, it will sit and wait on top of a stone or vegetation for a fish to come close, as it is a poor swimmer. It seems to prefer more sedentary species of fish, like the stone loach, and will also feed on the blood of tadpoles, but it still has relatively big suckers compared to the related species, so it can more effectively cling to the outside of its fish or amphibian host. Once attached, it seeks out a vulnerable part of the body, like the base of a fin, to feed. It only stays attached for up to two hours, and sometimes only as short as ten minutes, so it's rarely found attached to fish. Once well fed, it can survive for up to ten months before needing to feed again. In contrast, the common fish leech, Piscicola geometra, will stay attached for several days while feeding, and are typically found in running water. This species has a distinguishing striped pattern with red, green or brown stripes, and has particularly large suckers for holding on to the fish hosts, which can include very active species like salmon, trout and pike, but it will also feed on smaller species like stone loach and stickleback. I have seen them myself attached to some very skinny looking tiny minnows. As you can imagine, on these smaller fish, and in large numbers on bigger fish, they can cause serious and even fatal effects. They can be a serious pest in fish farms and the fish pet trade. Hungry common fish leeches will sit on a prominent stone or plant attached only by their posterior sucker. If there is a disturbance in the water nearby or a shadow passes overhead that could be a fish, they actively sway around to try and grab onto it. Once attached to the fish, they quickly let go of their posterior sucker, move across the fish, attach themselves on the body or sometimes inside the gill. In the many years of pond dipping, I've come across many other leeches of course, but there was one species I always wanted to see. 
and that was the medicinal leech. The species that the 10-year-old me probably would have run away from, as it's the only species that feeds on mammalian blood in the UK. I had made some inquiries over the years. I once wrote to the RTV at Dungeness and even got permission to go looking for them there. But there was another problem. It's a protected Schedule 5 species, which would mean I need someone with a license with me, or a license myself, to catch them, or even risk disturbing them. A few years later, I was invited down to a new forest by my friend Naomi Ewald, who works at the Freshwater Habitats Trust. Naomi was a new forest officer for the Freshwater Habitats Trust, a role that involved keeping an eye on and advising management of the large number of wonderful ponds in the National Park. She took me to some mile ponds in the middle of the forest, where she knew medicinal leeches could be found. Medicinal leeches were once widespread across the whole forest, but the use of deworming treatments in the grazing ponies and cattle at one time had meant the toxic chemicals in these treatments leached into the ponds across the new forest, wiping out the leeches across most of it. The most recent survey showed them present in only four of the many ponds in the new forest. This decline has been reflected nationally, where they've declined from being widespread in the UK to now only being found in 20 isolated populations. The decline nationally is probably partly due to historic over-collecting for medicinal purposes, but more recently probably due to ponds being now unsuitable. Some in the Lake District have been dug to make them deeper, which makes them too cold for the species to breed, and others have probably just declined in quality generally. Pollution, bad management and things like that. It was a lovely sunny autumn day when we arrived at the New Forest Leech Ponds. There was a small one a few metres across, and there was a much, much larger one, which disappeared behind vegetation so I couldn't see the other side, with lots of small trees and overhanging branches, and was really shallow. The pond had formed in a marl pit, which was a type of clay, and Naomi explained this might be why they survived here. The marl or bentonite clay it contained is known to absorb poisonous substances, and it may well have absorbed the deworming treatments, allowing the leeches to survive here when they died out elsewhere. As they like to feed on the blood of vertebrates, medicinal leeches behave differently to most animals found in the pond. They don't swim away from splashes and shadows, they actively swim towards them. The very thing that made me fling that book across the room all those years ago. I have to admit I was a little bit nervous about how I would react, but Naomi demonstrated how this could be used to our advantage. She stood in the middle of the pond and splashed around a bit and then stopped, then splashed around a bit more and stopped. A leech swam towards her and she scooped it out of the pond net and put it in the survey tray. The trick, she said, was to catch them before they crawled up with your wellies to reach your legs or you could end up inadvertently supplying them with a blood meal. <laughs> Looking at the leech in the tray, the most surprising thing was the colour. In the sun, the dull browny black leech showed a wonderful pattern of iridescent purples, greens and reds. This one was only 6cm long, so not a foregone adult which can reach up to 10cm. They don't just rely on splashing and shadows to find a host. As they get closer, they switch to using chemical cues, which is basically smelling potential hosts, and sensing body heat. They don't feed exclusively on mammals, however, with amphibians being the main prey in many populations, with birds and fish sometimes fed upon too. Observations in the wild of them feeding on horses show they stay attached feeding while the horses are in the water, but they will drop off and retreat back to the pond when the horse leaves. The young leeches are too small to pierce the skin of mammals and will feed mainly on frog and newt tadpoles. In the new forest, I was planning to don my wellies and go and find some leeches of my own, but the heavens opened up, and being the true gentleman that I am, I ran and hid under the cover of a mature oak tree where I was nice and dry and let Naomi get drenched while fishing in a leech-filled pond. She found a few more slightly larger individuals, but after placing them in the survey tray, they decided it wasn't for them, and they crawled out the tray and went wandering around the moss-covered base of the oak tree, waving their heads around every so often, possibly sensing the heat from my body. Then something weird happened. I was overcome with a sudden curiosity of what it was like to be bitten by one of them. I had read about it, I'd seen Nick Baker do it on TV, 
and now I wanted to know. The medicinal leech is famous, or perhaps infamous, for its use in medicine, from the bloodletting in medieval times to their use in the modern day, where they are generally used in plastic and reconstructive surgery to help improve blood flow in areas of tissue that has poor blood circulation. The reason they are used is because of their saliva. It contains hyundin, the most powerful naturally occurring anticoagulant, which is a substance that stops blood clotting. This is obviously beneficial to the leech, as you don't want the wounds you've made with your teeth to start healing up before you've finished feeding. If you've listened to the recent episode with Dr. George McGavin as a guest, he mentions allowing a leech to feed on him for a TV documentary he was filming. After filming, he drove home and at the end of the journey took off his sock to find was full of jellyfly blood where the wound the leech had made had failed to heal and had bled for much of his journey home. Lab experiments on feeding leeches have shown they can take two to five times their own body mass in blood in a single feeding, which would mean they wouldn't need to feed again for up to a year. But observations in the wild show they tend to have different feeding habits, feeding more frequently on smaller amounts of blood, which makes sense when you think the mammalian hosts are only visiting the water and probably leave before they have time to completely gorge themselves. Back in the new forest, I asked Naomi what she thinks about letting the leech feed on me. She points out that it could be host to a disease or a parasite, as there are plenty of wild mammals and semi-domestic ponies and cattle around, which seemed like a good excuse to wimp out to me. (laughs) Plus I joked, as it was Schedule 5, if my Essex blood was tainted and it died, I technically would have killed it and broken the law. Maybe one day the opportunity to be fed on by a leech in laboratory conditions will happen, and who knows, maybe I'll be brave enough to let it do it. Which pretty much brings us to the end of this episode, and the story of how my fear and disgust turned to fascination with these wonderful creatures. Hopefully I've given you a newfound appreciation for this widely disliked group of animals, and next time you find one on a water lily leaf, or stuck to the bottom of your pond tray he just emptied, you might stop and understand them a little bit more. Now, Victoria will be back for the next episode. We've got some great guests lined up for the new year, some interesting topics and some plans for some on-site recordings of podcast episodes if it all goes to plan. More live shows on the way too. So look out for them on social media. And if you want to follow us and you're not already, we're on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast, all one word, and we're on Facebook at UK Wildlife Pod. And also, if you're on Facebook, join the Facebook group, the UK Wildlife Podcast community too. Okay, guys, have a happy new year and I'll see you all in 2021.